0: This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, you're not a brother, you're not a friend, and I don't want to know you. What the heck have you been doing all morning?
1: What are you referring to? Me? You
0: went through, you went through this uh, door over here in the corner of this room, and you've been rattling around, bringing out boxes, rifling through things. What is it that you are trying to look for?
1: Well, just anytime I see a door and then I open it and then I see stuff, I've got to Mm. take it out.
0: Yes, we've had really good luck going through doors recently. That's how we got here. This is how we found our way into this stupid little bunker. I've been eating Funyuns for two weeks, goddammit.
1: Well, it looks like if I pulled everything out, there might be a smaller door in the back with a wormhole. Unfortunately, it's just all this. Alice
0: in Wonderland style.
1: Yeah, it's just all this paperwork. Why do you keep so much paper in a random room?
0: By the way, can you hold these guns for me? (laughs) In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films The Machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave Dave vs. The Machine.
1: machine.
0: Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. And
1: my name is david
2: and i'm the machine
0: this is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse the apocalypse i think has actually happened as we find ourselves now in what i'm calling purgatory with a light we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself uh currently due to technical difficulties we're stuck in a small circular room filled with some technology that we can't get to work Uh, And today, The Machine has asked us to talk about The Godfather, Part 2. The history of two generations of crime. The drama of absolute power and the men who violate it. The Godfather, Part 2. What is your name? Don Vito Corleone and his son Michael. Both had seen the ones they loved most cut down before their eyes.
1: Vito! 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 Vito!
0: Both had killed as an actor. Of course, I think we need to give a great big thank you to our patron, Green Girl YYC, who keeps our Patreon afloat over there. If you want to help us monetarily, absolutely you can do so from uh, that Patreon site. But Dave. I think we do need to talk a little bit about the history that we have with the Godfather films, first and foremost. They definitely have had a huge impact in the history of film. So, why don't we talk about Francis Ford Coppola, kind of in general, but really the first Godfather film? What is your history with those films?
1: Uh, I, these are movies that did not, that I was not alive for their theatrical release. Um, so, I discovered them. Later on in my adulthood, uh, they obviously have Pantheon status. So even Mm. if you're not a movie nerd or uh, whatever, you grow up and you know that there is a movie called The Godfather.
0: I find that like most movie lists, like best of all time lists, whether it's like the Sight and Sound, American Film Institute, whatever it happens to be, like both of these movies show up somewhere in that list. And very often they top those lists.
1: Yeah, usually top 25, not top 10. I don't remember when I first rented it, but I remember the first time I watched the first one, I uh, was engrossed. Do you know what that word means? It was like... I was it means that up you're and,
0: watching it and are yeah, grossed out. Yeah,
1: I was just like, ugh. No, it was great. And um, I, I, you might know the actual runtime, but it's one of those movies where when you watch some sweeping epics, you just don't realize that you're uh, building bed source. It's, uh, right. it's a great film. I mean, the yeah. first
0: film is long. It's two hours and 40 minutes, maybe 50 minutes. Uh, so it's long. I mean, The Godfather Part Two is even longer. It's three hours and 23, I think, is what the full runtime is.
1: And uh, presumably... F- Outside of the fiction of this, I might have made the decision to watch the first one in order to watch the second one, and I do have to say that uh, having watched this so recently, Kyle, it holds up very well, and it's what would become an A-list cast. I don't know if they mm-hmm. were quite A-listers at the time, with the exception of uh, uh, the crazy old man and. Um,
0: oh right, Marlon. Yes,
1: <laughs> it's. Uh, oh,
2: I thought you were talking about Kyle.
1: It's a masterpiece, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a great. Great, great movie.
0: The first time that I watched the original Godfather, I think I've told this story before about how I by accident watched this TV special, the American Film Institute, 100 Years, 100 Films is what it was called. And so they counted down the 100 best films of all time. And afterwards, uh, coincidentally, Columbia House sent a flyer being like, hey, you can subscribe to us. And each month, we will send you a VHS copy of one of these films in the 100 Best Films of All Time list. And so one of those films that came was The Godfather. Uh, I was, I'm going to say somewhere between 14 and 16. I actually don't remember exactly the time frame or what age I was. But around there, teenager uh, at least. And I watched the original Godfather once again with my parents in the room. And I found the same thing. Like, I really enjoyed The Godfather. I uh, I think I watched it one more time, probably in university, and I've never seen it since that time until very recently, let's say in the last couple of days.
1: Mm, a nice happenstance. I,
0: I also happened, because uh, I mean, there's nothing but just old media here in this bunker, so I'm, I'm just watching so many things. I also happened to watch Citizen Kane here recently, and the biggest thing I realized about both Citizen Kane and The Godfather is I think that because so many people talk about how great they are and how oftentimes they're considered the best films of all time, that you can kind of internalize over time. And you're like, oh, these are overrated. Like, everyone talks about these films. There's no way that they all hold up after, in this case, like, just about 50 years. And in Kane's case, we're talking, like, 80 years almost. And then when you watch them, it's like, oh, no, I understand why these are considered so great. And The Godfather is like what you just said, like, you are engrossed. It's phenomenal in that first Godfather film how literally every scene has become iconic. Like it's one scene after the other. It's like, oh yeah, it's the wedding scene. And oh yeah, it's like the horse head scene. And oh yeah, it's like the diner scene. And then oh right, it's the gun scene. Like it keeps going through the all of those things, like, yeah, I know everything that's about to happen. And I don't I forgot that this is the order it goes in.
2: Sounds exactly like my dating life.
0: And you're and like all the actors who have become famous later on. It's a great movie. Uh the only thing i find that's slight slight small detraction is i and it's just a me thing is that i get pretty listless in the last 30 minutes and it's not even that i think there's something that can be cut out i think it's all relevant it's just like all right i'm getting antsy now uh and then it has one of the best final scenes in cinema so i <laughs> i mean it kind of comes back in on itself again but i agree it's a great great movie uh i have never seen the godfather part 2 for some reason i have seen the first godfather multiple times and I decided, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to see the other Godfather films. This is good enough for me. And I've never watched the other ones. I think maybe the three and a half hours was a deterrent (laughs) Uh, a bit, but so I've never seen, have you seen the Godfather part Two?
1: Yes. I uh, did the trilogy, which I don't like to acknowledge because the third one should be stricken from the records.
0: There are some people there, there is a a counter movement to that film that's happening currently. So
1: (laughs) I I didn't even hear what you just said because it's irrelevant. (laughs) Uh, No, I think, um, I remember watching the first two and I did it not quite in the super nerd L O T R way, like in one night, but, um, as a project, this must've mm-hmm. been a few years ago and sort of to what you just said, there is some hot debate as to the positioning of the two movies, which one is supposed to be better. Um, and so I have a yes. strong intuition and memory that I think that while both films are uh, deservingly perhaps in the top 100 of all those lists, I think the first one is better. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see. uh, And from what loosely I can recall, it's the second one that, uh, you know, talking about the last 30 minutes, any generational sweeping epic is going to have trouble bringing timelines together. And I think that's what falls apart at the end of the first one because you start second guessing what year it is even uh, I yeah, just so really it doesn't
0: hold your hand necessarily like no. where we are in the timeline
1: Yeah, and, and kind of like your point too like I was thinking would this be better if they just threw a little subtitle that it's now 1953 I don't know maybe not it might have just been in you know, a pedantic but uh, my memory of the second one is that it's an even broader gulf and there's just too much to absorb but We'll see. I don't know. That's how I remember part two, but I, you know, I I think it's a good movie. I remember enjoying it, so it's it's good that the, that they had the two Godfather movies in history. Yeah,
0: I mean, this machine is currently because we have no year as our writer currently. That uh, we're just talking about things from the Letterbox Top two hundred and fifty. So it's just kind of this random selection that we're now looking at. Um, I guess just briefly, do you have any thoughts or feelings on Francis Ford Coppola?
1: I think, kind of like we talked about Stanley Kubrick, I think that there's an essence where his genius was a particular epoch. And uh, I don't know if I connect with Francis Ford Coppola now. I don't know. What's his culmination? The vampire movie? I, I, I'm not even sure after uh, Interview the Vampire. Oh, no. Uh, after Dracula, what he made that I would remember. Um,
0: I would say that maybe uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which he directed, is maybe the last. Big, big walk. thing that would come into the zeitgeist quite so much right. i believe he did the rainmaker right after that which is oh is, a that, fine.
1: A, is that a couple movie? the rainmaker it is oh i didn't yeah. know that
0: and then he's been doing weird things since then. he still makes movies like he, a movie every three to four years he oh. still makes them no one talks about them but mm-hmm. he still does make movies
2: it's similar for you kyle nobody talks about you at all
0: but let's do this let me apparently we still have to thank sponsors up here in this bunker so i'm gonna go thank some sponsors And then when we return, we'll be talking more about The Godfather Part 2.
1: Alberta podcast made us an offer that we couldn't refuse.
0: Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the episode one more time to tell you all about the people who help make this show continue to run. I just wanted to mention while we're here, you know, just you and me talking together, that uh, something that we don't often mention on the podcast is that we do have a YouTube channel. And I mention that because sometimes we upload little videos to be watched. Because that's what you do with videos. Why is this going so awkwardly? We have a YouTube channel that you can go and watch videos on. Uh, Dave kind of handles all of the production of that. We kind of record, of course, separately. And then he kind of combines them together. The video that is probably live there right now, or will be very soon, it's kind of a compression of this very episode of Godfather Part 2. You know, it's a it's a way to hopefully grab new listeners to come and listen to the show. But I think current listeners will have just as much fun of watching me slowly lose my mind <laughs> after, like, doing five of them in a row. Uh, so definitely go and check that out. You can search Kyle and Dave versus The Machine on YouTube to find the channel. Uh, you, the full audio also gets posted over there too. I mean, you can listen there if you'd like, but really watch some of the videos, keep listening to this show and, uh, let us know what you think. Colin Dave versus the machine is a proud member of the Alberta podcast network, locally grown community supported. The Alberta podcast network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. This week, we're actually sponsored by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's go and listen to one of the other great shows.
2: The podcast you're listening to is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Go to albertapodcastnetwork.com. Also in the network is Titans Podcast. My name is Vanda, and I'm the host of Titans Podcast, a sports podcast for the rest of us. If you'd like to hear a different sports podcast experience, come and join us over at Titans Podcast. We don't talk about numbers and stats but more about the stories that are important to us. Go to titanspodcast.com.
0: This week, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is also brought to you by ATB. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Built to Help Albertans. So Built to Help Albertans is ATB's campaign to answer questions commonly asked by Albertans in these tough times. So even now, good advice is within reach. Your financial situation today, tomorrow, or this very hour, is why ATB is here. ATB will listen and help with the knowledge and solutions you need right now. Why? Because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, visit ATB.com. Wait, we we just watched it, Dave. As non-spoilery as possible, was this an offer you could refuse or did you want to take this offer?
1: I think that if one were so inclined to watch something like a top 100, this is required viewing still, um, Mm -hmm. much like the first one. I still hold to my belief that the first one is superior, uh, not because this is a bad movie. I just, it felt awkward to me. It is amazing to see so many, again, A-listers, and they're so young, developing. Can I just say something
0: though? Sure. And I may or may not have texted this to you while we were watching the movie. I don't know what happened, and this is going to sound so mean, and I apologize, but it's been two years between the first Godfather and the second Godfather when it gets made. And Robert Duvall looks like he aged 10 years. Like yeah. I don't get it. Like He just looks way, way older than anybody else in the cast aged in those intervening two years. So I, he did some hard living, I guess, in those two intervening years. He is,
1: I mean, uh, from a little background research I and mean, he's, he's older uh, to start. And in those yeah. sort of forties, you start to break down, I think, uh, cause he was born in 31. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. So he's probably in his late thirties, early forties. And also, apparently, he's uh, quite a heavy womanizer and a heavy drinker. So, uh, well, uh, these things will catch it. up.
0: I think it's actually pretty amazing for, again, a film, 1974, and this is not true for a lot of films made at that time, how many of the cast is actually still alive. Yeah. Like, the vast majority of them are still alive and still making movies and yeah. still have a career. Uh, That is not necessarily the case for a lot of early 70s films.
1: Well, that's the other thing about this being such an A-list ensemble. It's not not just that they're uh, still acting. It's like they're still big, big stars uh, in their own right. I mean, you could definitely see there's a tail off. These are not people that make a movie a year anymore. But if you see... Bobby De Niro, know, actually I, uh, Robert De Niro, is Robert De Niro
0: was in The War of the Grandpa, yeah. the number one box office smash of 2020. It, uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it made $50 million and that's like the number one movie, but still, yes.
2: 50 million more than you did.
1: But yeah, they're all kicking it and they're all about my dad's age. They're all born in the mid 40s. So, you know, they're they when they, you know, I think what the other trick is when Godfather came out, they were all young.
0: They're all sort yes. of just yeah. coming. they're all just getting started, almost. Yeah. yeah.
1: With the exception of Robert Duvall. and, of course, uh, Marlon Brando, who refused to be in the second one. But I think.
0: Uh, well, uh, doing some research myself, he did not refuse to be in it. He actually agreed to be in it, and then just didn't show up on the day of filming that he was supposed to be there. <laughs> and so they had to shoot around it, he, uh, which is which is maybe why there's a certain scene yeah. where it's very obvious that he's supposed to be there and he's not shown whatsoever.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say I realized I was gonna spoil it, but uh, we'll wait. We'll wait to discuss yeah, yeah. that one scene. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Anyways, any other overarching opinions about this film? Uh,
1: no, I think, I mean, we discussed this as well uh, while we were sitting here watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think Diane Keaton is incredible for being so uh, visible with such minimal material and minimal yeah, she screen is time.
0: not given a lot to do and yeah. yet she still makes an impression yeah. on the viewer. It's really remarkable what she's able to do Actually, her and Talia Shire both, I think, are yes. able to grab the reins. And, like, I think they're both maybe in this film for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, they're not in it for very long. No. Um, and yet they're still impressionable and you still remember them by the end.
1: And they do such a great jo- And, uh, you know, this is not a nod to the script writing, which is clearly so male centric, but they mm-hmm. do such a great job evolving into those few different characters. I mean, they're always going to be sort of a neurotic breakdown trope of women in mafia movies, but. They're great at it it was it was fantastic watching them, particularly looking at one and two uh, as a combination and seeing how these people all age it's uh, it's fantastic to watch
0: there's uh, some a lot of great write-ups on the making of this movie, how it got made in the first place. One of the biggest things is that Coppola one of his requirements to come back and make this film was the understanding from the studio that they could combine this with Godfather 1 to make a very long piece. And in fact, that did get released onto television as a miniseries in the late mid to late 70s at some point where they combined Godfather 1 and 2 for 90-minute episodes.
1: In sequence or did they recut it?
0: No, yeah, it's cutting back and forth between first. It's not like all of Godfather 1 and all of Godfather 2, it's all of them kind of combined together.
1: That's my I mean, as much as I think If I were to do that, and maybe this is what they did, I would split the schism in part two with the two generational counterpoints, even though I think that's an important part of the way the plot is meant to Mm -hmm. reflect on itself and play them chronologically. I think it would have had more narrative power to separate them. Uh, I should start it. I mean, this is my biggest... Criticism is, uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler alert, but part two is two movies cut into one or two storylines counterpointing each other.
0: Right. And And I I was going to bring this up as part of my overview of Godfather 2, which is I agree with you in that I think Godfather 1 is the superior film, even though I quite liked Godfather 2 quite a bit. But it is longer. It's more sprawling. Um, I don't think it is as gripping as what the first one is, but it's still engaging, if that makes any sense. If you look at reviews from the time... That
2: sounds like a complete waste of time.
0: One of the major things that critics brought up is exactly what you're talking about, is that you have the Michael storyline, which could hold up on its own, and you continue to break narrative momentum by flashing back to his father. Now, part of this was apparently Mario Puzo, who helped co-write the script, really wanted to make a movie about a father and son who are the same age and show that what they were doing at the exact same age but i have to agree it's like i'm in the michael storyline a little bit more than i am with the Vito storyline even though the Vito stuff ends up being pretty uh, climactic in in kind of um showing how the whole family started itself but you don't get that in godfather one godfather one is moving very fast it's always going to the next scene it's, it has that propulsion to it, and everything leads into each other. We're not like, okay, let's pause. We're going to go back in time, and we're going to go and show this. There's co- there's constantly that um, pull, uh, push and pull. I find in Godfather Two, that takes me out just a little bit more than Godfather One.
1: I. I think interestingly, the effect that maybe Mario Puzo wants is more effective in the first one because instead of them being the same age, just the uh, presence of old Marlon and young Michael. So old Vito, young Michael already gives you that story, I think. And you get uh, their evolving characters in contrast to each other. And this one, it almost felt like they're trying to make it even more extreme. And we could talk about that a little, I don't know, now or later, but Al Pacino begins his uh, his almost, uh, he starts to become a bit of a meme already. Uh, His future (laughs) career He's yeah.
0: doing some alpacinoisms yeah. for sure inside this movie. It's building there,
1: and uh, Danier is still young, so he's not quite uh, in the monster world he, yet. I
0: think what did they say? He only speaks twelve words of English in this entire film. Like yeah. he's speaking in Sicilian um, yeah. for the majority of it.
1: It's entertaining. I, I will say there's an intermission in the second one. Yes. I actually breathed a sigh of relief and needed a break, which is not, that's not always a great sign.
0: But I found the same thing for like Lawrence of Arabia, which also has an intermission. It's like, yes, I've been sitting here for almost three hours. I think I need to get up and, and do something.
1: The only time I felt disappointed with the intermission was Seven Samurai, because I wanted that thing to keep kicking, but uh, that was also at like the two and a half hour mark, so yes, uh, my, my butt was happy. You should
2: always strive for a happy butt.
0: So The Godfather Part 2 was released on December 12th, 1974. It is rated 9.0 on IMDb, 90 on Metacritic, And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it is at 98% from 85 critics and 97% from 411,502 users. That is, it just slightly eclipses Spirit Away from last week as being like the best rated film uh, that we've ever talked about on this show here, at least. It is widely available, so you can buy or rent this on iTunes and YouTube. And in Canada, at least, you can stream it on Amazon Prime or on Netflix. So it's available in a bunch of places. Now, we have to remember this is in 1974 dollars, but its budget was 13 million dollars. It's hard to find information on like opening and domestic versus international, but it ended up with 48 million dollars, which sounds low. But do you know what that uh, is after you consider inflation, Dave? No. No. Forty eight million dollars in nineteen seventy four would be like if a movie made two hundred and fifty three million dollars today. Mm. So it made a lot of money.
1: For I still a movie think in we need to do some kind of correlation with the average ticket price because that was probably a time where you could see a movie for two bucks. Two bucks a dollar. or something. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder what average number of butts were in theaters for then. It would have been high.
0: It's plot description from IMDb is the early life and career of Vito Corleone in 1920s New York City is portrayed while his son, Michael, expands and tightens his grip on the family crime syndicate.
1: That was when people let you watch a movie instead of having to tell you what it was about, right?
0: (laughs) That is true. They didn't have to show you the ending of the movie so that you would come to see it. It stars Al Pacino as Michael Corleone, Robert De Niro as Vito Corleone, John Cazale as Frito Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen, Diane Keaton as Kay, doesn't get a last name in the credits, and Lee Strasberg as Hyman Roth, which, by the way, I just need to say this, is one of my favorite character names of all time, <laughs> Hyman Roth. What a good name, which is works both for, like, 1950s gangster and Star Wars villain. Oh. Ha- wow. Hyman Roth. Like, it just sounds good, doesn't it?
1: I can't believe you went Star Wars. Let's... Let's recover our dignity and move on.
0: (laughs) No, uh, anything that you want to say about any of those uh, actors?
1: Yeah, I don't know. They're all incredible. Uh, I mean, this is not surprising, but doing the brief write-up, other than I think all of them have Oscars, Robert De Niro's, you know, mid-70s through 90s. (laughs) Uh, no, uh, maybe two thousands. I don't know how many times he was nominated for an Oscar or took a part. Bunch, yeah. yeah, took part in what is considered a historically seminal film in many different genres, and it's not just gangster films. I mean, no, it's, he did a bunch. Yeah. It's uh, fascinating. Diane Lane, uh, Diane Keaton. Sorry, Diane Keaton. You know what's interesting about Diane Keaton? Her actual name is Diane Hall. Oh, and uh, Annie Hall, uh, because she and Woody Allen sort of came up together. She was in the original production of. Uh, whatever his first big play was that became a movie too. And so they did a lot of plays and movies together. And when they did Annie Hall, apparently that was written by Woody. Specifically for her. Well, about her and about Mm. their relationship in an idealized idealized fashion. And uh, she's even quoted as saying like, this is how Woody viewed our relationship in a jokingly theatrical manner. And so, yeah, like her nickname to some people was Annie. Her maiden name, her non-stage name was Hall. Uh, So, um,
0: yeah. I love Diane Keaton. She's great. I think the big call out here is Lee Strasberg. He
2: owes me 21 bucks.
0: You may not know. He is a very famous acting teacher. Like people went to the Strasberg school to learn acting. In fact, one of those people was Al Pacino, who actually got him to come and do this. Uh, they actually offered it to somebody else. I know I'm blanking on who that was, but a big name at the time, and they uh, turned it down. And so Al Pacino said, "Oh, you should get Lee to come over and do this role." Just and get then, Lee, uh, yeah. Just and then Lee he up. got an Oscar nomination out of it for for this film. He's
1: fantastic in this movie. He does uh, he does sleeves ball quite well. Uh, yes, he does. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's really <always> really great. <laughs> I mean, we talked briefly about Rob Duvall. So the story of him being a womanizer drunk is uh, apparently starts when he was roommates with Dustin Hoffman and Gene Hackman when they were yeah. coming up together. And uh, there's a gross quote, something like acting is the best way to open legs or something. Like it's gross. Boy. He's also uh, considered himself a libertarian conservative. So we'll just leave that alone. I mean, it's kind of obvious when sure. you
0: look at him. But also a great actor too. I mean, fantastic have to say, yeah, he's been he's oscar great.
1: baiting a little bit in his old age yeah uh, which was you know it's interesting i didn't think he had already won an oscar but he yes, had yes. one for a movie i've in never late, heard of late
0: 80s, late 80s yeah
1: something about a country western singer yeah so. he's
0: a country western singer i've never seen it either it's not something. my genre <laughs> yeah, as I we've know, discussed you made it abundantly clear <laughs> uh the only big one is john kazale who actually passed away in the late 70s And in the five film appearances he was in, all five of those movies were nominated for Best Picture.
1: He's fantastic.
0: Just an interesting little fun fact. So he plays Frito uh, in this movie. Um, And yeah, he's really the only one of the major uh, actors, I guess, besides Lee Strasberg, who is not alive nowadays. But of all the young actors, yeah, he's the only one who did not survive until modern day.
1: But did he, uh, what was it, like brain cancer or something? Yeah, it was something, something, something tragic. Yeah, Yeah, it was
0: very tragic. Yeah. Of course, this was written by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Just a little write-up that the machine gave us here. Mario Puzo is probably best known for the three Godfather films that were based on his book called The Godfather. Uh, But he's also credited for writing the 1974 film Earthquake. And he was also the team that wrote the 1978 version of Superman. Isn't that weird? Um, As well as basically his only other big writing credit was on the other... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola film, 1984, called The Cotton Club. I have not seen that film either. But. I, I,
1: I just wish I remembered the name of the book, but I think my first Mario Puzo, Puzo uh, sort of connection is my dad, for some reason, when I was uh, at, in high school, had a Mario Puzo book on a shelf. Wow. Which I ended up reading, I suspect, because he used to travel a lot. Maybe it was a, an airport purchase because it's not like he read gangster literature and i remember reading it and it was fantastic i just don't remember the name because this was more than 20 years ago
0: well what a lot of people will comment on like the godfather the book the godfather how this is like an expert way to adapt from source material because the book is actually not considered all that great it's kind of like a pulpy thing and this is like yeah. yeah it is like this is kind of uh Lifting that up into like, I don't know, what do, you, what do you call that? A steer status or something like that.
1: Would you maybe use the word auteur? Would you?
0: No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand what that word means. Of course, Coppola really made his, a name for himself. Coppola really made a name for himself with the first Godfather film. But he started in B-movies with legendary producer Roger Corman, who, interestingly enough, plays one of the senators in the scene with the senators in this film. Uh, But the 70s were really his decade. So the two Godfather films, The Conversation, and Apocalypse Now all came out in the 70s. Other notable things that he's directed are The Outsiders, Rumblefish, Captain EO from Disneyland, the uh, Michael Michael Jackson Jackson, uh, sci-fi thing, Peggy Sue Got Married, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Rainmaker, and jack What's the jack? robin williams as a kid but oh, as wow. robin williams that was a francis for a
1: no, movie. no
0: idea how that fits into his oeuvre i have a feeling honestly that that was some sort of tax write-off thing it's like <laughs> we just need to make a movie what? and get it out and like this is gonna shield me getting my winery built or something like i don't know that to be true but it, that's what it feels like to me
1: his greatest legacy uh, for you is probably nick
0: cage well, yeah. Well, his nephew, Nick Cage. Yeah, because yes, you right.
1: you respect Nick Cage, and uh,
0: but his, uh, um, oh my gosh, his daughter, uh, Sophia Coppola. Sophia. Sophia Coppola, who's made some she, great movies.
1: Yeah, if you're into like depressing emo. Which yeah. I am. Yep. Yeah. And uh, although
0: she, I did not really care for her, I did not really care for her last film. I'll put that out there. But.
1: Awful actress. Yeah. She almost single handedly is the reason why Godfather 3 is a terrible movie.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let's blame the one woman in the film. For uh,
1: <laughs> it's it's bad. Yeah. Never mind I, the writer. I,
0: I've never seen it, so I don't know. I, can't I think you comment should
1: uh, harm yeah. yourself that way and watch it just to. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly enough, I mean, Talia Shire is Sheer? Shire is. Uh, I think it's Shire. His sister, right. and apparently there's another sibling that has uh, begot Jason Jason Schwartzman, as we just read, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, uh, that was that's weird. Jason Schwartzman is a couple of Yeah,
0: I didn't realize that he f- was related to Nicholas Cage somehow. But
1: yeah, what a weird family dinner that would be, right?
0: Huh. <laughs> just yelling at each other, and
1: <laughs> if they all get along,
2: this feels like a documentary you should pitch.
0: Uh, Just lastly, in the 2000s, he's basically made art house films, and maybe that's not the best way to describe them, but they're low-budget movies that nobody goes to see. So these include Youth Without Youth, Tetro, Twixt, and Distant Vision, and there's the upcoming film called Megalopolis that will be coming out here next year, apparently. Good. I I don't know anybody who's actually seen any of those films, so...
1: I mean, not to make it a competition, but... uh... I mean, I, I didn't really like Irishman, but uh, Scorsese is still out there trying to make big hits.
0: I was medium on the Irishman, which, by the way, fun fact about this movie, Coppola really did not want to direct the sequel. He did not want to. And he actually said, you should hire Scorsese, who had just made Mean Streets. Yeah. And the studio was like, no, absolutely not. We're not going to bring Take on an gamble. untested director on Martin Scorsese. So that's an interesting. Scorsese weird thing has a, of, a lot of an theme. alternate uh, timeline that could have happened had they got him to do it.
1: Scorsese has a lot of interesting credits too but we'll we'll talk about him if we ever get to a Scorsese movie but
0: he, Scorsese he's yeah. made
1: a lot of weird movies that I had no idea he directed. I just saw them on oh, yeah. the Robert De Niro the, research. Well, so.
0: this is the thing, not to make this a Martin Scorsese podcast which somewhat annoys me like he is definitely known for his like gangster movies. I think he's actually only made five gangster movies yeah. in like the 20 movies that he's actually made, but he's done like The Age of Innocence which is like a costume drama, he made Hugo which is you know your uh, kids fi- film. Uh, film. He made this other film that I actually quite like called After Hours, which is this weird, bonkers comedy. So, like, he does push himself to do other things besides just one type of movie.
1: Anyways, moving on.
0: Let's get more into the Godfather Part Two. Where do you want to start? I think where I want to just I want to talk about some other positives here before I get kind of into some of my other negative things. Number one, I think that there is a level of confidence that Coppola is showing here. This is remarkable because he is in his like early 30s, maybe late 20s when he's making this. Like he's still a young dude. I clocked it. It is twenty-three minutes before we even see Al Pacino, the a sensible star of this movie. 27 minutes before he actually speaks a line of dialogue. So when you're star of your film, the first who's on the poster, the name above the title, it doesn't even get seen for like the first 23 minutes. I think that's a level of confidence to be like, hey. The audience is going to be with us. We can be patient and we'll get there. Um, I, and I think that's interesting that he decided to do it that way.
1: I think the, the word patient is, a, is the apt one. Even in the first movie, there's something so deliberate and focused. So for example, the opening wedding scene, much like the beginning of this film, there's a slow burn that doesn't bore you because there are so many little details, whether you understand what you're looking for or not that in the environment, you know, like a, like a good appetizer or getting a nice uh, odor as you walk into a restaurant, a good one, not mm-hmm. the, uh, if you walk by a washroom or something. So, you know, it starts off and yeah, I didn't even, I mean, clearly I'm not a big nerd with a stopwatch, so I didn't time how long it took for someone to show up on the screen. I but, mean, I
0: mean I, I mean, I tapped the screen, <laughs> but yes.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, and to your point, I didn't even realize that he wasn't, just leading off, you know, hoo uh from the first minute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: just, well, let's get the hoo-haws out of the way. Um, um, just, a, just a question, a plot point that I was, I just don't know the answer to. So this movie starts, of course, with the young Vito Corleone. Uh, his father is killed by the mafia there. His brother is then killed in the first scene and his mother takes him to the dawn. She gets murdered violently, so he runs away to go to America. So he emigrates to America, and he's going through customs, immigration. And they take this, like, little ruler and measure his eyelids. I imagine this is something racist, but what are they doing? Do you have any idea what they're doing there?
1: I didn't notice the ruler, but I thought they were just checking for smallpox and jaundice. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, because... I know in that era, uh, scurvy and jaundice are still a big problem because that was 1901 or whatever. So the powers yeah. of vitamin C and and just going on refugee boats across the ocean that would have been a probably a two month journey or I mean, it's not like the boats of today. It's that would yeah, been, but
0: I don't I don't believe in communicable diseases days. I don't think <laughs> you can actually yeah, it is a, a sham. It.
1: It's, it's a microchips a sham. um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember that was a bit jarring. I just a quick note, when Vito's mom is killed, that uh, violent shotgun recoil, holy Jesus. shit. Yeah. That's like, you know, for that to be 1974, they're still trying to reproduce that effect in modern action films. It, it actually looked like they shot her with a shotgun.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> not that
1: I would know what that's like.
2: I do, and it does.
1: Uh, but yeah. that's how I imagine it, because uh, that's point blank with the 12-gauge. You're going to not collapse with some of the... Death scenes in the first movie, where they well, they'll put like, or in this one too, they'll put like a little dot and blood coming yeah. out. Well,
0: cool. yeah, there's a lot more choking I found in this film. <laughs> yeah, garrotting. <laughs> they choke them out a lot more. Yeah, yeah, a, lot carot, of, yeah. a lot of garrot.
1: Yeah. So when they looked at his eyelid, I also was like, "What are they doing?" But then they showed that he's sick and he has to be quarantined. Right. I mean, yes. a lot of uh, prescient, uh, right? There's a lot. There's a lot there to read into coronavirus. So um, yeah, I, uh, I I thought it was more interesting that he's like a nine year old kid passing through customs on his own <laughs> and they're just like yep well, all right what's your last name does not speak english we're gonna call you corleone let's move on you know yeah go, fast go to that
0: line yeah. yeah i think there's a lot of prescient things in this that i think are still relevant to today um i think one of the biggest one that is actually brought up in the first film too but i think really hammered home in this which is there's that conversation that he has at his son's um is this his christen name Anyways, Bat- it's a big party oh, that's happening at the very big. Bat- yeah, I think it's communion. No, baptism. It's baptism. baptism. Anyways, it's him and the senator in his office, and he's like, Senator, we're both part of the same hypocrisy. And I think it's really shown in this is like both both the political class and the mafia are kind of doing the same thing. They're lying, they're stealing, they're doing nefarious things. It's just that one is looked at as being quote unquote respectable, and one is trying to be broken up and go to jail sort of thing and i mean there's a level of racism that is being shown that that is what's driving a lot of that but is there a huge difference between the political class and the criminal class i guess we'll call it and i don't know if i think the movie comes down to me like there isn't there is not much difference between these two
1: i think that one of the main themes towards the end uh, as they bring up with their allusion to uh the empire of rome is this uh, political and philosophical question about power and influence? And you know, you bring up this idea of uh, maybe standard politics having more legitimacy, and the mafia, for example, being this underworld shadow. But particularly in the first movie, there's this uh, almost fairy tale insinuation that when it's about family, that we are to empathize with the mafia, that a lot of their um, cruelty particularly in the golden age, pre-drugs, and this is a theme that occurs in all mafia movies, I feel like, just before they did drugs, when it was gambling, prostitution, alcohol, they were good That's guys, right? Yeah. It is a- an interesting and, yeah, intentional statement about politics in the 70s. Yeah. But,
0: well, I uh, want to delve into that a little bit. We'll double back on the political angle. Do you feel that these films, The like Godfather 1 and 2, in particular, and... Mafia films in general are glorifying the mafia or are they trying to hold them into account and showing like these are not good people and you should not get roped up into them or they're being like isn't this really cool what they get to do like where do you fall on that divide?
1: I think it depends on uh, the director. You know what I think? I think the ones that have stood the test of time. So Scorsese, uh, the Godfather movies, both have an ambiguity about it, but ultimately are actually saying that this is not a good way to live your life. Because ultimately, all of the characters self-destruct or are destroyed by the choices they make in their life. Uh, Modern gangster movies had particularly, I mean, there are a lot of, mediocre or crappy ones where they're trying to glorify the thug's life even if people get what's theirs in the end there's too much focus on um, the pomp you know the bling and the power and they get lost in this surface level idea that if you've got a bigger gun if you've got more you know more backup that you're going to win some kind of war if there's anything that comes out of godfather is that i think that this is um particularly the second one um you see it in the first one starting is a movie about the perils of uh, of power and influence and uh, I think ultimately the reason why they wanted to counterpoint is again if there's anything being glorified it's that vito Corleone did it for the quote unquote right reasons he did it for family and community and you know not out of a sense of uh of personal sort of satisfaction but out of necessity you know whether that's a good message or not who knows but with michael uh, you see that the opposite is true and particularly in the last scene you realize this is not even something that's evolved because he reluctantly had to take power of this family he was likely a sociopath from the beginning because he's the only member who didn't give a shit about his family and in the end um he suffers the most whether well, he doesn't die but he suffers the most for it so there yeah I've, I've been thinking
0: about this i don't know like this is just a thought that popped into my head so you're free to push back on it. But if we look at Godfather 1, to me, that was basically framed as a loss of innocence for Michael. Like maybe he had these harborings for a long time. But even in this film, it's shown like, I want to you know, fight for my country. I am trying to be selfless to myself uh, sort of thing. Um, I want to give back to my country or to my community. And that, uh, that goes away by the end of Godfather 1. Here, it's his loss of humanity completely where it's like i am willing to kill my own brother i am willing to uh throw other people under the bus and i don't really care i am doing this for vengeance i am doing this to you know spite my enemies and something that his father didn't do and very particularly in the first film when Sonny is murdered he says like i don't want there to be vendettas i want this to end <laughs> i want all the five families to be cool with one another and then michael when he takes the throne is like no we're just going to kill them all
2: Witches, as you know my life motto
1: and that's the thing you know that's why i think the first movie is more successful at this idea than the second one the second one is almost trying to rub your face in it by showing them paralleling uh, allegedly the same point in their life although al pacino looks 15 years older than de niro does you know if they're supposed well, to be going by, up by at the image. end
0: he is actually because right it's like way into the future then at that point
1: but the first one plays this much more eloquently. And I mean, I think the second one is supposed to uh, spring from the first suit. He's already broken, Michael Corleone. So watching his descent into madness and his descent into hell and where we are, purgatory, uh, for lack of a better sort of allusion, and all the damage he does to everybody around him. To your point uh, earlier, there's a great moral message behind it but it starts getting lost in what becomes a trope of gangster films, which is visual and visceral violence rather than specific plot points. I, I think it loses itself somewhere there. And uh, the moral counterbalance of like Vito Corleone's uh, character is dropped too early in the movie. It, it needed one more act, in my opinion, to just round out why we should empathize with Vito. But that ending train scene where they just Driving way for that to be the last you see of him is kind of mm. anticlimactic for me because, you know, particularly by the end of the movie, I, I start picking up that, you know, there's a real value difference between the two people and they just throw it away. I mean, it's yeah. the movie's already too long, but uh,
0: I, uh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. This is me being dumb.
2: How would we tell?
0: And this is not the movie's fault. This is just me thinking that every, uh you know, white actor who's slightly overweight and has a mustache looks the same. So the Dawn that's over in Italy, I thought was the exact same character as the guy that he eventually kills in New York City. Like yeah. I literally thought they were the exact same person. And so when he goes back to Italy with the olive oil and like and kills him, I'm like, what? Oh, oh, this is they're two different people. It's like I thought he already did act revenge. So that was me being stupid and not paying attention, apparently, (laughs) to to what was actually going on. Um, I will say, too, again, this maybe is just me getting distracted, uh, which is also possibly a reason. I actually personally had a little bit of a hard time following the narrative at certain times. Specifically, because Michael is somewhat playing both sides, I was like, wait, so is Hyman Roth actually against them? Or are they actually together? And is Frito actually against them? Or are they actually together and they're just saying it? I was never 100% sure where those cards were falling. And eventually you find out at the, at the, by the very end.
1: Do you, I wasn't sure. Do you even find but, out by the but, end?
0: But, but, well, I mean, he, yeah, he eventually just kills everyone. But I was, un, I was unsure at some points about, like, are we I'm supposed to understand that he's playing somebody? Or are we supposed to be intentionally confused about what's going on? And so I don't know if that was a me thing or a movie thing.
1: It's a movie thing. Uh, Everything you just put up goes down to the writing and direction. And as much as Francis Ford Coppola is, um, you know, a master at this stage of his career, the decisions, um, even within cutting between the time and plot points, I, I mean, I felt the same way. I, I've seen it before. I know where this is essentially going to end up. I almost at one point, not even almost, I just stopped caring about the intrigue. It was over convoluted. And, uh, I kept hoping that I'd forgotten the scene where they would have that aha moment, not necessarily usual suspects thing, but like, you know, like one of these things where they're like, oh, this is actually who knew what was, you know, Tom Hagen actually knew the overarching structure and, you know, there's this aha click and everybody's role and the whole intrigue comes apart, but that is not what happens at all. And like you point out, what really happens is maybe you're supposed to think how much of this is in his mind, Michael Corleone in that his solution in the end is just to murder anybody who knows anything about him. I don't know. It, it, that's what leaves me with a bad taste for this movie is um, I don't know what happened, you know, other than he becomes an embodiment of cruelty, uh, of sociopathy. All of his, I mean, Al is great in this, but all of his sort of uh, manipulative and controlling moments start becoming psychopathic, right? And it becomes a bit of a, like the tone is so much darker than the first one. And uh, by the end of the movie, I, there's so little to redeem out of any of the characters. I didn't really actually feel like I enjoyed it at all.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there is that thematic resonance for me. There is that scene where Robert Duvallis Tom goes to the other um family leader whose name I can't remember right now. And they kind of make the allusion to Rome, right? At the end of Rome, like everyone was out for themselves and you had one of two choices. You either were taken over by Caesar or you killed yourself in the hope that like the rest of your family could split up the profits sort of thing. I really feel like that's what the ending of this is, is showing is like, yes, he's at the top of his empire right now, but we're in the process of seeing Rome crumbling. Um, and I'm assuming that's what the third film is about, but I don't actually know that to be true. That's what I would—that what I would make the third movie being—is the actual fall of Rome uh, that he's actually built up for himself. Apparently, the very last, literally the last uh, scene that happens is you just see a silent Al Pacino kind of Sulla sitting in a chair, uh, being upset. There was a whole scene apparently filmed with his son as a teenager, being like, "I'm never going to be what you are," and kind of leaving the family. And him realizing that maybe this wasn't worth it. But they lost light or something and couldn't come back and film it. So they just cut that entire scene and just show Al Pacino sitting there. So I think that that's left for you to infer that, that. Of course, that's not in the movie. But I think he's starting to understand with the killing of Fredo, with the losing of his wife, that it's like, I, this is not exactly what I initially wanted. So I'm losing things here at this point.
1: Uh, you know, and this is the thing about revisionist or over-researching the intent. Uh, In its effect, for me, he just looks like uh, a sociopath. Like he just doesn't give a shit. He's clearly alone, old and broken. And uh, much like the uh, old asshole who tried to kill his father, just laying there dying on some rocking chair in Italy, surrounded by guards. He's empty. Like there's just not a lot of substance to him.
2: That reminds me of you.
1: The preceding scene with the dinner table, I think that's the crux. And I think if anything, that's where the movie should have ended. Yeah, uh, If you're going to go this way.
0: I actually kind of agree with you there because I really like how that scene. It's beautiful. It, how that c- coincides with, again, where Michael started and where he actually is now. Because the exact line is your country ain't your blood. Yeah. Right. I- and Michael at that point is choosing his country over his blood. So there's still that, like, weird tension that his family has.
1: What I, I By think, the way,
0: I should just say, uh, Jen is in the chat here. So hi, Jen, for coming and watching us here today. Jen has the fun fact that she's been to the uh, Coppola Winery.
1: Oh, I didn't know that And actually was. touched
0: oh. the desk of the Godfather.
1: Oh, nice. What I, I thought might have been such a great writing thing, and it's clearly the intent, is turning back time to the first movie and realizing, like, there's that critical moment. That's We're spending a lot of time talking about the first movie, but... You know, when my- Michael's introduced with Kay, he's not trying to hide who his family is. He's trying to no, differentiate. He's very himself. Primed, yeah. But that's a fascinating thing for somebody that allegedly doesn't want to be part of what his family is doing.
0: See, I, I've been thinking about this. I honestly read this as projection a lot. It's like those people are like, oh, this doesn't bother me. Like, nothing yeah. about this bothers me, except it totally does. And you're just like lying to yourself that it bothers you. That's what it feels like to me. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not my family. I'm doing this thing. But the fact he's doing that thing is because of his family. Well, <laughs> You know what I mean? He's but, trying to prove himself and then it eventually comes back to him.
1: Well, that's the thing that I liked about the dinner scene is that he's... I don't think he's trying... I mean, I get the feeling he's not trying to prove that he loves his family. I think he's trying to prove that he doesn't want anything to do with them. You know, when everybody rushes off to greet Vito, even though he's the favorite, and he's sitting there solemnly plotting, you know, at the dinner table that really resonated with me with the way they structure his character's downfall, because, you know, everything from the way he treats his family, you know, slapping Kay, like demanding that they never are allowed to do anything unless he says, you know, the, the shutting doors. You know, I mean, how, how cruel is that? Um, mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff, it just shows that he is not veto that his motivations have nothing to do with his family. And all of it is about his ego. Even murdering Hyman Roth when Hyman Roth is clearly going to die. And Tom Hagen, the character, Robert Duvall, is kind of like trying to be this rema- last vestige of morality. And he's like, right. dude. like
0: He's going to die in six gonna months. He's going to die. Like, like let's fine. relax. And he's like, no.
1: They're all done. And he killed his own brother. I mean, granted, Frito's a worm. And he, you know, he... Try to he murder kind his Deserved brother. it, but whatever. Well, if you murder your own, if you try to murder your own brother and their family, you know uh, you may not deserve to die, but uh, you know it's, you're asking for a lot of trouble.
0: <laughs> I, I can't wait <laughs> until you become the Don of your family.
1: Uh, I'm not capable. We're done here.
0: The machine has asked us to wrap up. Although I do need to say just one last kind of criticism, specifically with Robert De Niro in street scenes. There is some actually pretty awful dubbing (laughs) that that happens in this movie. It's like dialogue is being said and his mouth is not moving at all to what is being said on screen. It was like, whoa, what is going on here? I thought I actually, it was buffering or something weird. It's like, oh no, that's just how it is in the movie.
1: They tried so hard, maybe too hard, to get him to emulate whatever the fuck Marlon Brando was thinking when he put those mothballs in his face. And I think that... um, maybe at revisionist again, they didn't need to do that. And it could have been an injury, you know, like, I don't know. You could work that in later, but probably they couldn't pick up anything he was saying on a mic as he's trying to like do that stupid, like eh, yeah. voice. And, um, or, you know, maybe his Sicilian wasn't authentic enough. I have no idea. I don't speak yeah. Italian. I did. Apparently
0: th- he went to live in Italy for a few months to try and uh, learn how to say things properly. Method, but- baby.
1: The thing about De Niro, too, is was he the first actor to start all this extreme weight loss stuff? Some of the numbers have been. Yeah,
0: he did a lot of like uh, losing a bunch of weight for Taxi Driver and then for Raging Ball, he gained like 50 pounds. Like he did a lot of stuff. That is what Dave and I thought. Uh, What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave versus the machine at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxed page, letterboxedcom slash kdvstm. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, well, maybe that hasn't uh, aged so well. Anyways, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as $1 per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something you can do for absolutely free, though, is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie, Dave. Because we are, until the machine tells us not to, talking about like the top 250 films of Letterboxd, uh, what would you give this movie out of five?
1: Yeah, I think it
0: maxed out at a four for me. It's not as low as I thought you were going to give it, to be honest.
1: I was actually like sitting on a 3.5, but I think that. You know, just trying to be as objective as possible and not necessarily go with this idea of how I feel like after the movie. I mean, it's well constructed and there is great intent. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, f- I feel very on the fence for this one. If you catch me on a on a particular day, I can go down to a three. And uh, if you catch me on a good day, I'll max out at a four. So
2: Meanwhile, I'm always a perfect five.
1: I think I'll, I'll be kind and uh, stay at a four. This is definitely not... Like for example, a top 100 of all time movie for me. But, okay, uh, all right.
0: Yeah. I am going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, like I said, we've mentioned some of the things that didn't quite work for me, so it's not quite perfect. Um, and again, I'm with you. I, I, I would consider The First Godfather to be a superior film to this one as well. That means you don't have to do too much here, Dave, because that nicely averages to 4.25, which will round down to a 4. But that will enter our list at the number four position.
1: Okay. Four? Position four?
0: Well, well, here's the thing. We have talked about a few films. Like, we, were, we recall doing this last week, of course, because we've talked about Spirit Away already. Oh, yeah. Spirit Away is number one. And then in our 1999 season, we've already talked about Fight Club, The Iron Giant, and Magnolia. Oh, are so you, those are, are already we... in our list. Okay,
1: we're not creating a new list.
0: Right. So this is a part of the letterboxed, top 250 we've talked about some of the films that okay. are on that list already and this is entering our list at number four okay let's find let's find out what the machine is going to make us watch uh next week here dave push this button i i don't uh i don't know if this is a misprint uh, yee have you heard about before? yee before
1: yee no is that a is that that Chinese movie? Taiwanese movie? Sounds
0: yeah. like Taiwanese to me. Hmm. Not that I speak the language, but that's what it sounds like to my ear. It's, it's Taiwanese.
1: Helen's Taiwanese. Oh, that's convenient. Shut your mouth. You know, I think we need to leaf through some of this shit and see if we can get out of here.
0: All right. Well, what, what have you found there? What have you found?
1: It's weird. There's a movie poster here. The Killing Fields? No, wait, hold on. Oh. There's another one. Dangerous Liaisons. Huh. Oh, of mice man. These are a lot of weird movies, man. Uh, in the line of Who, why do you have so many john malkovich movie posters
0: wait a second malkovich malkovich that was the that was the second rune that we decoded well i mean i were decoded but that was the second rune that we decoded dave that's the code maybe that's, a, maybe an that's an the asshole. password that the machine was asking for last week let me just let me type that in here <phone rings> Uh, Dave? Yes, Kyle? No one's going to hear a scream. I-, I think we're on a spaceship.
2: You should always drive for a happy butt.